Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Hey there, Bible Center family. Welcome back. It's so good to have you who are watching us on TV or online. I thank you for being a part of our worship service today. We like to say we're a family expecting guests. And so if you are new to us, if you're a guest with us online or on TV, our desire, our online pastor's desire is to help you connect as a friend. Let us know how we can do that. As we're jumping into today's message, I did want to take a second and just give an announcement to our church family of what God did through you in our end of year giving. I'm going to tell just a little story about it, and I think that it will will set this up well. I had lunch this past week with a friend who uh, had been involved in ministry for quite a while and and really well over uh, several decades and uh, had just grown through a series of discouragement, had gotten discouraged and even got to the place, was wondering uh, if he would ever be able to connect back at church. And over the last six months or so, this dear brother, one of my good friends, has been able not only to connect uh, but he has said, told me this past week at lunch, he said, the, the people at Bible Center, not just the staff, not just the leaders, uh, but the people at Bible Center Church are, are healthy. They're growing in the Lord. And so I just wanted to thank you, Bible Center family, for your growth and what you're doing to encourage those uh, who come to us. Our mission is to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus. And that's not a staff mission. That's not just a leadership mission. That's all of our mission. And so you are doing it. We are getting to do it together. And as part of that good news, not only are you contributing to uh, discipleship, but actually contributing even financially to make this ministry possible uh, on campus and on TV and online. All of this, as you know, uh, takes quite a bit of money to make it happen. And so uh, everything from our discipleship efforts, our children, to our students, to our adults, uh, to our outreaches at the Maker Center, as well as the Foster Closet, and what we do with Union Mission as strong supporters of Union Mission and Mountain Mission, uh, what it takes to keep the lights on here, to pay the mortgage and all the video cameras and so forth. And so I just wanted to thank you for what you contributed this year. Our budget this past year, which runs from uh, July through June, uh, was $3,900,000 and some change. And God used you not only to give that amount, but to give more than that amount. Your total giving this year was $4 million plus. And so I just want to thank you as one of your pastors. I want to thank you for being so generous uh, with the gospel and with your resources. Um, This is really a a proud moment, a moment where I'm very thankful uh, to be part of this church family. So we enter this new year with strength, and I'm excited to see what the Lord will do. Let me invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Psalms. The Psalm 37 is where we're going to be today. And in today's message, we're going to be talking about reducing. We're going to be talking about decluttering, simplifying our lives, our schedules, our task lists, our obligations, and our commitments. Today's big idea is simply this. Giving up the good is the only way to make room for the great. Giving up the good is the only way to make room for the great. 
There's a number of ways we could say this. Giving up good things is the only way to make room for great things. In life, the key to making room for great things is to give up the good things. We can only carve out room for the great things by getting rid of the good things. Or as John D. Rockefeller said, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Giving up the good is the only way to make room for the great. Now this past week, Sarah, my wife, cleaned out our garage. Our garage was getting quite cluttered and it got into the place that we really couldn't get in and out of the car very well and, and the lawnmower was hard to get out. I'm sure you've been there if you have a garage or an outbuilding. Actually, I have a picture of our garage. This was a picture of our garage before uh, Sarah cleaned it out. Actually, I'm just kidding. That really isn't a picture of our garage. It's just a Google picture I found. But our garage wasn't this bad, but it was very cluttered. And when my wife got finished with it this past week, it now looks like this. Uh, I took this picture uh, just a little bit earlier. Yes, she did a great job cleaning out our garage. And it made me think this week how our lives are a lot like a cluttered garage. It's very easy for us to just to accumulate stuff. Maybe you feel like that first picture that I showed of the cluttered garage. You have so many things going on that you're not even sure what's next. Your calendar looks like a football play or like a tactical battle plan gone bad. You ever find yourself craving simplicity in your career, in your family, in your relationships, in your health, in your finances, in your goals? You ever feel like you have so many plates spinning that there's no way you're going to be able to keep them all up? I hear all the time that our people are feeling pulled in a thousand different directions. I hear it from students and stay-at-home parents. I hear it from the underemployed and the unemployed and from the overemployed. I hear it from those who make seven figures and for those who wish they make seven figures. I hear it from spiritual leaders and coffee baristas. This past week, I was reading some very heavy literature by Dr. Seuss. And Dr. Seuss writes this, How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's noon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? Remember when you were a kid, and maybe your biggest worry for many of us, our biggest worry was just getting home on time to watch our favorite TV show. But now we have a lot of commitments in life. It's part of what it means to be an adult. Uh, we have rent or mortgage. We have diapers to pay for, which is often more than the rent or the mortgage. We have health insurance premiums and car insurance premiums and life insurance premiums and in-laws and a few good friends and a lot of enemies. Uh, we have a boss. We have work colleagues and work conflicts and work meetings and more meetings and work deadlines and disappointments and unfulfilled expectations. And obviously, many of these commitments are good. Many of these commitments are given to us by God uh, but have you ever noticed how, like my garage, it's very easy just to accumulate a lot of extra stuff that maybe God never intended for us to have in the garage of our lives? I really believe that if we don't declutter, if we don't reduce, if we don't simplify our schedules, our task lists, our obligations, our debts, and our commitments, it really is going to affect us in the long run. 
Not just us, but it's going to affect our testimony. It will affect our mental health and our cardiovascular health. It will affect our spouse, our children, our grandchildren, our close friends. It will even affect the bottom line. It will affect our anxiety. It will affect our depression and so forth. And so again, that's why today's big idea is giving up the good is the only way to make room for the great. Thankfully, a simple life is being invited to us. God invites us into a simple life, into a place of freedom, a place of joy, a place of balance. And this is what I desire more for me, being vulnerable with you. I want more of this for me. I do not have this yet figured out. I want more of this. I've told my family. I, I want our staff to know this is what I want for me, and, but it's what I also want for you. I want us to declutter, to reduce, to simplify. And thankfully, the Bible has the solution. The Bible actually speaks to these things. And so in the next few minutes, I'm going to give you a list of principles, or really better yet, a list of questions that you can ask yourself when you're trying to declutter the garage of your life. And so I would encourage you, take notes. You can also find the notes on the app. But think about these questions and see what the Lord, right now, as you watch and participate in this service, what the Lord might invite you uh, to reduce or declutter. Number one, let's look at the worry principle. The worry principle. Ask yourself this question, does this thing bring more anxiety into my life? If so, I might need to let it go. So you've walked into the garage of your life and you're asking this thing, do I need to get rid of it out of my life or do I need to keep it? So you're asking, does it bring more anxiety or less anxiety? In Psalm 37.1, the psalmist said this, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Now, according to the heading, Psalm 37 was written by David, King David. And we're going to see in a minute that King David is an old man, probably towards the end of his life. Uh, he's looking back on his life, thinking about all that God has done for him. And he's going to recall for us in Psalm 37 a number of these principles. Psalm 37 is a lot like uh, Proverbs. It reads a lot like Proverbs. There's these principles, these points to live a flourishing life. One Bible scholar, Walter Brueggemann, sees this as the wise old king's inspired advice on how to live a well-ordered, reliable life in a very unpredictable world. And so when David says, do not fret, another way to translate those words would be, do not get heated, literally in the Hebrew. We would say it today like this, don't allow yourself to get all worked up. Fretting is very common in our day and age. It's composed of worry, resentment, jealousy, with a little bit of self-pity mixed in. According to verses 7 and 8, fretful people eventually turn into very angry people. Those two emotions are intrinsically connected in the human psyche. And they think about it, the online world just fuels this fretting. It fuels this anxiety. And so what I want to ask you to do as you evaluate the garage of your life, ask yourself questions like this. Am I serving on too many boards in the community? Am I out too many nights away from my family? 
Am I missing too many family meals? Am I saying yes to too many requests? Are my children involved in too many sports or too many extracurricular activities? Again, let's think about the worry principle. Does this thing bring more anxiety into my life? If so, I might need to let it go. Number two, the second principle. I call this the willing principle. Ask yourself, am I really willing to do whatever God leads me to do in this situation? Am I really willing? In Psalm 37, in verse 3, David said, Trust in the Lord and do good. In verse 5, he says something similar. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. Now, this idea of trust is just another word for faith. And faith is the beginning of all of our relationships with God. The word commit in verse 5 is a very graphic word in the original language. It refers to a a traveler who might have a heavy burden on their back. And and that traveler rolling that heavy burden off of their back onto the back of their camel or their donkey or their horse. It means to roll a burden off of your back onto the back of another. And so the Lord is literally telling us to give our burdens to Him. It reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all our cares on Him because He cares for us. And so ask yourself, as you're taking inventory of the garage of your life, Ask yourself, have I prayed about what the Lord might want me to reduce? Am I seeking His wisdom? If He leads me to slow down, if the Lord prods me to slow down, am I really willing to do it? Number three, I call this the word principle. The word principle. Ask yourself this question, what does God's word teach me about holding on to or giving up this thing. What does God's word say about this thing? Psalm 37 4, we see David writes, Take delight in the Lord. Now, this word, take delight, it's a relationship word. It, it refers to not just a deep friendship, but it's even a familial word. Uh, it's someone that you are very close to, someone that you have a deep relationship with. Uh, This is the kind of word that I would use for my wife. We've been married 21 years. And uh, uh, tonight, uh, when our day is done, we'll do what we do almost every night. We'll enjoy a diet root beer that we usually split, and we'll watch a little bit of The Office or something like that. I can't wait for that time with my wife every day. That's our special time together. And so that's that relationship word where the Lord is wanting us to delight in Him like we delight in someone here on earth that we deeply love. Now, maybe you're wondering, if you're a new Christian, you say, man, I'm a little confused. How, how is delighting in the Lord connected uh, to um, this idea of the Word? You said you, this is the Word principle. Well, Psalm 40 and verse 8 brings the two images together. In Psalm 40 and verse 8, David said, I de- desire to do your will, my God, Your law is within my heart. 
if you're taking notes or if you're following along on the app, you'll see that this word desire actually is the same word in Hebrew as Psalm 37.4 when he says delight in the Lord. Sometimes it's translated delight, sometimes it's translated desire, but it's the same exact word. And David says here that the way to desire the will of God is to be in the law of God or to be in the word of God. So how do we as humans delight in God? How do we have an intimate relationship with God? We stay in the word of God. And so ask yourself this question as you clean out the garage of your life this summer. Ask yourself, does the Lord want me so busy that I don't have time to read my Bible? Does the Lord want me so busy that I don't even have time to listen to the audio Bible? Could it be that this is the devil's tactic to distract me? Am I willing to trust what the Bible says while holding on or giving up this thing? The word principle. Number four, as you clean out the garage of your life, here's another principle, the want principle. The want principle. Ask yourself, do I even want this thing in my life Or is it an obligation somebody else has placed on me? The want principle. Psalm 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. This isn't the only principle for there are many things in life that we uh, have to do that maybe we don't want to do. I'm not a huge fan of taking out the trash, but it's my responsibility right now. It's almost time for it to be my son's responsibility. Uh, But some things in life you got to do that you don't want to do. So we're not talking about things like that. But I do think it's a good idea. And obviously David, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, thinks it's a good idea for you to take inventory of your delights and to be in touch with the desires of your heart. This is especially helpful when we're simplifying, when we're decluttering, when we are reducing our lives. It's okay to ask that question, is this something I even want to keep in the garage of my life? Psalm 145 in verse 19 says, He, God, will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So when we allow all the clutter of the life to to just totally fill the garage of our hearts where we don't have time for anything we enjoy or we don't have time for the Lord, we don't have time to truly love others, we lose all that margin in our lives like one might lose in their garage, well, well then there's just no way for us to really say that we are living lives after after the desires of our hearts. And so ask yourself today, what would I give away if I could? What would I simplify if I could? How would I downsize or reduce my life if I could? What would I do to give myself more breathing room or margin? And you might even ask yourself, when I daydream, what do I daydream about? There's a lot there to consider. But here, this idea of the want principle. Do I even want this thing in my life? In the garage of my life, or is it an obligation somebody else has placed on me? It's okay for you to ask that. 
Number five, the waiting principle. The waiting principle. Ask yourself this question this summer. Am I willing to wait until God shows me what to do? As you're going through the garage of your life, you might find some things where you're not sure. Should I get rid of it? Should I not get rid of it? Should I quit doing this or should I not quit doing this? Because some things aren't black and white. They might be good things, but you're wondering, does the Lord want you to get rid of the good to make room for the great? And so that leads us to this principle of waiting. Sometimes you've got to set it off to the side and wait for the Lord to make it plain. In Psalm 37, verse 7, David said, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Now in verse 7, he, or verse 11, he talks about the meek. Who are the meek? Well, it's the people he defined in the few verses prior. The meek are those who are humble. The meek are those who are hungry for the Lord. They don't second guess God's timing, but the meek are those who trust in the Lord. The meek are those who don't get angry or vengeful when they see the wicked prosper, but instead they know the Lord has a plan. So essentially, his definition of meek in this psalm is meek people are those who are willing to wait on God to lead. Have you ever noticed during this time of waiting, that's when we learn to pray? I know in my life there have been seasons where I've had to wait on certain things, and those are the seasons where God takes my prayer life up a notch. Those are the seasons when we have to learn to rely on trusted friends and mentors and family members. During those seasons of waiting, those are the times when we ask a lot of advice, we make a lot of observations. We grow even in the season of waiting. And so I want to encourage you to ask yourself, do I always insist on knowing all of God's plan right now? Do I get angry when God doesn't show me his plan right now? And if I do get angry when God doesn't show me his plan, what is it inside of me that causes me to get angry? What might the Lord be teaching me through this season of waiting? Am I willing to wait until God shows me what to do? Number six, another principle when you're cleaning out the garage of your life this summer. I call it the wealth principle. The wealth principle. Ask yourself this question. Does this thing, this, this box I'm holding in my hand, this thing in life, does it require more time, more money, more space or energy than God has given me? If so, I may need to let it go. In Psalm 37, 16, this same psalm, David continues, Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. 
Now, we're talking about this idea of simplicity, and there has been some talk really in the last decade, uh, even among Christians, about the importance of simplifying and decluttering our lives. For the most part, I'm thankful for that emphasis and that movement. Uh, we desire simple clothing or minimalist designs. We, we like local dining. We, we like to uh, think about how we can simplify our lives right down to eat, pray, and love. Well, most of us, even though we have a desire to simplify our lives and to eat, pray, love, we end up with binge, purge, and regret instead. But all of this interest in simplicity it is good as long as we remember that at its core, our desire is to love God and to love others. That our greatest treasure in life is God. If we just seek simplicity for simplicity's sake, then simplicity itself can become an idol. But if our desire is to simplify so that we might love God and love others better then we are in line with what King David is talking about here. So ask yourself this summer, take a, take a hard look. Ask yourself, can I really afford this house? Can I really afford this car? Can I really afford this boat? Can I really afford this second house? Can I really afford to have this full of a calendar or this full of a schedule for the long term? Am I going to be able to sustain this financially, physically, with my time, or with my talents, or with my treasure? So number six, the wealth principle. Number seven is what I like to call the worth principle. The worth principle. Ask yourself, how will my decision about this thing impact eternity? How will my decision about this thing impact impact eternity. King David, continuing to write in Psalm 37, gives us an image of what's really worthwhile in eternity. He says in verse 18, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. So he's thinking about eternal value, eternal worth. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up and smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay. But the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. Here at Bible Center, we talk often about the gospel and how the gospel is that God creates but sin breaks. But Jesus saves and Jesus transforms and one day God will restore. That's the big picture of the gospel. We know that Jesus saves through his death, burial, and resurrection. But there's an anti-gospel. There's another side of that coin. And that is that there are some who will not trust Jesus to save them from their sins. So they'll never be saved They'll never have the joy of being forgiven. They, they, they'll never have the joy of, of knowing what it's like to be transformed. They'll never have the joy of knowing what it's like to be resurrected uh, to everlasting life instead of being resurrected to everlasting death. And so Paul writes about this matter and he says, how can they believe if they've never heard? And so that's where it comes back to us. 
we get to participate in the work of God by making space in our lives to reach others for Jesus. And so this summer, as you're decluttering the garage of your life, as you're reducing and downsizing and simplifying, ask yourself some of these questions. Does this thing help me love God more or less? Does this thing help me love others more or less? Does this thing encourage or distract from my mission to help other people follow Jesus? Does this decision give me more margin or less margin to be generous with others? Those are the questions I'm asking myself this summer. Those are the questions that Sarah and I are asking together. And so I invite you to ask those questions with us. How will this decision about this thing, whatever this thing is for you, how will it impact eternity? Lastly, number eight. Finally, number eight. I like to call this the weakness principle. Ask yourself this question. Can I admit that I'm weak and in desperate need for God to do what only God can do in this situation? The weakness principle. I love how King David ends this psalm. We're going to read the last couple verses in a moment. It's the same way that I want to end this sermon. It would be very easy for David to have to just continue to pound on us and pound on the people to the point that we realize we've made all kinds of mistakes and there's no way that we'll ever have any hope. And maybe there's even a little bit of that in your heart even now as we've gone through the seven previous principles. You, you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I worry too much or maybe I'm really not willing to do what God wants me to do or I don't read my Bible enough or I have rushed in when I should have waited before making a decision. Maybe you'll tell yourself that you've gone into too much debt or even credit card debt or you've bought that house bigger than you should or you filled up your calendar way too much. But I want us to remember for a moment before we read these last couple of verses, I want us to remember who David is. If you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the church, David, yes, was the greatest king that Israel ever had apart from the Messiah, Jesus, who will one day be king over all of God's people. But King David made some big mistakes. King David had committed adultery. King David had committed murder. King David was responsible for a lot of heartbreak and a lot of heartache with some mistakes that he had made through the years. And David, looking back over his life, no doubt, no doubt mournful, no doubt sorry, we see in other parts of Scripture how David grieved and sought to make restitution for the mistakes and sins that he had made. But notice how David ends this psalm. Let's look at starting at verse, Psalm 37, verse 23. He says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Verse 28, David says this, The Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Verses 39 and 40, the last two verses. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take 
refuge in him. Notice David doesn't say that we are our own righteousness or that we are our own stronghold or that we are our own refuge. But instead, he reminds us that God is all of those things. And really, that brings us to the message of Jesus, the message of the cross. That's what the message of Jesus was all about. Jesus' message of salvation wasn't that if you're strong enough or righteous enough to save yourself. No, Jesus said he doesn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said that in order to go to heaven, you have to see yourself as a little child in great need. Someone who can never satisfy the justice of God. Someone who's offended God even, who desperately needs a savior. Jesus did not come to live the perfect life. Jesus did not come to die on the cross, be buried and rise again just so that you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Jesus came to save those who know they need saving. We are weak, but he is strong, as the old song says. And so if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I invite you right now, repent and believe the gospel. Commit your life to Christ. Surrender to King Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're weak. Admit that you can't save yourself. And ask Jesus to save your soul. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Christian, I want to invite you to do that as well. Not only to Trust Jesus to save you, which you've done maybe days, months, or years ago. But I want to invite you today to trust Jesus to transform you, specifically in this area of simplifying your life and refocusing your life and decluttering your life. Maybe you're, you're a lot like the picture of that garage that we looked at earlier, so full of, uh, of stuff that you simply need to lay down at Jesus' feet. I want to show you a picture. This is one of my favorite books. This is a picture about one of my favorite books called The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress book was written by John Bunyan almost 400 years ago. It's been translated in 200 languages. It's had a huge impact on my life, uh, and I would encourage you to read it. There's different versions to even simplify and read to your children. It is a wonderful book. But in the book, the main character of this allegory uh, is a man named Christian. And in the book, John, John Bunyan writes about Christian being so burdened. He leaves home with this great burden on his shoulders that you know represents sin. But there comes a day that, John, that, that, that Christian meets the cross, that essentially Christian meets Jesus. And in the allegory, as Christian stands before the cross, the burden straps break and it rolls into an empty tomb. And Christian, for the first time in his life, is able to stand up tall because the burden have, has been lifted. It wasn't anything he did. He didn't cut the straps. But standing in the presence of the cross caused the burden to roll away. And Christian, as you meditate and contemplate being in the presence of Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, my prayer is that this burden of stuff will begin to roll away. Simplify your life. Declutter your life. 
Uh, downsize your life if you have to. Think about these eight principles. You say, Matt, why is it so important? Simply because of our big idea. Giving up the good is the only way to make room for the great. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 